This is Vic from your friendly neighborhood show. Chew on this, a Nerd United podcast. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow us and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Facebook, it's at Chew on this podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Chew on this pod. We're active on all three social media sites. And it's not just podcast episode announcements, but it's also memes, nerd news, and any special events the show might be at. Now light some candles, pour a glass of wine, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Episode 368 of Chew on This, a Nerd United podcast. I'm BJ. Vic. All right. Well, um, I know that we've been told not to, or at least BJ has told me not to say that uh, at this point of our six-year uh, show that we shouldn't be saying that we constantly uh, fail upwards in getting <laughs> in getting interviews. Getting awesome guests. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I still feel like we fail upwards. And I think a lot of that has to do with the type of people that we get on our show who are always really nice. And it also helps that they never listen to our podcast too. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't yeah. actually have a podcast. We I don't, just, I don't, it's, it's I don't think no. anybody has ever come on the show that's listened to the podcast. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's that's okay. Except to your own interviews. Yeah, the interviews are good. The interviews yeah, yeah. are good. But nobody's ever like actually listened to our past episodes and be like, "Yeah, those are guys I want to talk to." <laughs> I don't know. I doubt that. I, doubt, I, I think if they did, I think they would definitely want to talk to us. Right. Uh, but today we have, we have a we have a really special guest. And again, anytime we get a guest, I really can't believe uh, the guest actually decides to say yes to come onto the show. And uh, this He's got free guest, time. <laughs> this guest. This guest is one of the most badass characters in one of the most amazing shows mm. um, that are on TV, bar none. And I'm so glad it's back. We have Perry Young, Father June himself from Warrior. Um, welcome to the show, Perry. Thank you again for coming on and agreeing to to talk with us today. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Uh, man, um, I mean, you're you're... We usually want to start with talking a little bit about your background and, you know, how you came about with acting and, <clears throat> and, uh, so why don't you tell our, tell our audience, like, how, how you came about with acting and your upbringing and stuff like that. I know you, I know in, a, in, in researching and, and, and Facebook stalking you or stalking, internet stalking you, you know, we knew you, we, you grew up in, grew up in <clears throat> Oakland. Um, but right. from there, you know, tell me how you got in, how you got the acting bug, um, from that. Wow. I mean, how long is this podcast? Oh, we, we have we, as long we as you like. As much as you want. Well, as much as you growing want. up in Oakland and getting to where I am now took like 40 years. <clears throat> so I could only say that um, when you mentioned Warrior, you know, uh, as a preface to w what I'm doing here, it's like Warrior is a dream job for someone like me who's Chinese-American, who was born and raised in Oakland's Chinatown. Well, we heard that Bruce Lee walked the same streets that we walked before he became famous. I mean, um, 
it's a dream come true. You know, I just can't believe it. I pinched myself when I, when I was on a set of Warrior and, you know, and I, and I went, you know, I, I can't mess this up. Right. And, and then I see Shannon Lee walking around. I'm like, I really can't mess this up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but, uh, but I grew up, you know, in a, as, as a first generation, first and fifth generation, you know, Chinese American. And I always have to explain that because if you know anything about Chinese uh, history in America, we've had the anti-Chinese exclusion act. So, um, there was a law that prevented Chinese from immigrating in the country since 18. 18- 82, right? And that law wasn't lifted until 1940. And then the, um, uh, it really wasn't lifted with the quotas until 1963 when my family immigrated. But my great great grandfather came before that. My great grandfather came before that because of the history and the laws. They could never settle as Americans. So they always had to go back, have a family, bring their kids over. And that's my story. So we were never, um, born on the soil until I arrived, you know, in, in mm-hmm. 1960. And, you know, and because of that stuff, I never met my grandmothers, you know, because women weren't allowed to enter either. So there's a, there's a history of Chinese America that's, you know, based on, you know, exclusion and, when I saw Bruce Lee, I mean, you know, what he represented on screen was um, fighting the oppressor. All of mm. his roles were about serving his community, serving his fellow workers. So, you know, in the from the first film, um, the Big Boss. You know, he went to Thailand to help his workers. You know, fight the you know the drug dealers, the heroin dealers, and then to uh, Chinese Connection when, when he had to, you know, go oh, to the karate dojo, right to to. <laughs> Free his Chinese uh, friends from the um, the the Japanese oppressors, and then in, yeah. in uh, Return of the Dragon, when he had to you know help his his family's Chinese restaurant from the mafia, right in Italy. So all of it was about <laughs> helping his community fight the oppressor. And I started to like look around, you know, and it was like, man, we're in Chinatown for a reason, you know. There's you know, if you look at the you know the first pandemic in San Francisco, they put barbed wires around Chinatown, blaming the Chinese. Yeah. For the yeah. for a pandemic, which you know what they you know our <clears throat> former president did to us now, but uh, so you know just it took a long road of, of getting into the arts to, to figure out how I want to express myself as a Chinese American. You know, you know uh, we had some we have great Chinese American writers, Maxine Hong Kingston, Frank Chin. I mean the list goes on. Asian America Asian Americans have made a mark. Chinese Americans have made a mark in the literature uh, world. Um, Amy Tan, right? So. I, I wasn't a writer, you know, I was a musician, a punk rocker, an artist. And I was like, how am I going to do it? You know? And I looked at all my punk rocker friends and bands and they were all like these middle-class white kids revolting against their, you know, <laughs> upper middle-class values and money, you know, and I wasn't one of those kids, you know? And eventually I got into it. was like, it's not my voice either. And then I went into the arts and realized, oh, it's another system of, of hegemony, of patriarchy, of supremacy. You know, it's like, how do you fit into that world unless you play the game and you, and, you know, I just didn't have the looks and the skin color to succeed in that world in the same way. It, just like women, when I walked into my first art history class for women, you know, and it was all about how, how can women get into this game? You know, that's because they can never be masters, right? You can never be a master yeah. artist if you're a woman. And, it, it, you know, if you come down to that Eurocentric um, uh, system. So I somehow ended up doing like the wildest, crazy performance art in school because it was freedom. You know, performance art allowed freedom. Yeah. You know, I could stand out. Exactly. I could do what I want. I didn't have to fit into anything. And it was really like a punk rock energy of like F you to the system, right? You know, we could do whatever <laughs> we want. You know, you set up the system, yeah. we're going to tear it apart. So, yeah. um, and then it was at that same time I was, I was at San Francisco State University discovering my, um, 
ethnic identity by taking Asian American history classes. And that's when you really learn about oppression in America. You learn about the laws, you know, that oppress yeah. people of color and women in, in, in our culture. And it's still in the laws, right? And so, um, so, you know, learning all of that, coming of age and being a, being a performance artist, I was like, man, I, I got to get somewhere where I could really express myself. And New York City at the time was the place, right? So I graduated from San Francisco State University with an art degree, right? Because I just wanted to finish the art degree. But I really was, by that time, like a performance artist, dancer, musician. And uh, I landed in downtown Manhattan, and it was just amazing. I just felt like this tiny little fish in a huge ocean, right? And there was all this <laughs> stuff to do, all this crazy stuff to do. You know, Eric Bergosian, you know, like the Velvet Underground scene, you know, Andy Warhol. All of that was there, right? All the possibilities. And I landed wow. at La- Atlanta at La Mama Theater, which is the experimental emporium of the world, right? That was the place I put experimental theater on the map. Uh, the great, late, great Ellen Stewart, black woman, you know, who should get you know, she get accolades and credits, but she's just, you know, she's a black woman, right? So she's not going to get it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so many amazing things happened at La Mama Theater. I became the uh, um, a repertory group member, the Great Jones Repertory Group uh, uh, mm-hmm. company. I, I performed in uh, many, many theater productions over the last 30 years with La Mama touring the world. Really avant-garde stuff, you know, it's just crazy, crazy stuff you'd never see on the uh, normal off-Broadway, Broadway theater or on film. And so I kind of cut my um, teeth on that kind of performance, right? And um, and then I had kids, and I had to drop out because that stuff didn't pay. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, and then, luckily, during one of those shows, I discovered the shakuhachi bamboo flute, and that really derailed me from performance because it took over my life, Com- you know? Composing. You did some composing. Yeah, and I made the instruments. I ended up going to Japan and studying with a master, Kenya Sogawa, who taught me how to make and play. Um, and then I, and at that time I had my first kid and it was like, my, um, I was like, man, I got to make a living now. I'm going to support this child and, and, uh, had to figure all that out. So I dropped out of acting for 10 years, um, until those kids were old enough and had another one. And when they got old enough, about 10 years old, they were like sort of on their own, you know, being able to read a book and stuff. And like, I thought, you know, <laughs> you're like, bye. Yeah. I'm like, I have time. <laughs> I can, I'm going back to acting. I, exactly. <laughs> so I, I went, I can, I can sort of get out of the apartment now. You know, I can sort of leave the workshop, get back into society and, and exercise. I was getting, you know, I was getting, I had the bug, right? I just had to like, yeah, had to like get back on stage, but stage did not pay. You know, I couldn't support a family on stage, but I have to, you know, give my partner more Donahue a lot of props because she, she got a job teaching so that we can have insurance. Um, yeah. but I, I, I focused on theater, uh, film and TV because I thought, you know, if I'm going to go back to acting and be away from the family and lose income, I, I'm going to have to do uh, a kind of art that did bring in income and that would be right. film and TV. Right. And, uh, I just started, you know, seeing how I could do that, picking up the, you know, uh, pieces from where I left off and it was a whole new world. I had to figure out how to get into film. And by that time, a lot <laughs> has changed actually. When I, when I dropped, when I was doing theater, in the 90s, there was nothing for an Asian American, Chinese American male man to do yeah. on TV other than to play the the, um, the waiter, the you know, stereotypical, yeah, very stereotypical, yeah. stereotypical stuff, and uh, from you know, very lopsided. Um, and that during the time that I had the kids and I was watching TV, Lost came about uh, with Daniel Day Klim. You know, so that was the first time we saw an Asian male on primetime TV. That was huge. It was, was huge, huge, right? And then um, and then the Better Luck Tomorrow came out with Justin Lin. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, when I saw that, and my kids were maybe five or six at the time, I went, man, I, I got to get back. If I go back to acting, uh, there's a chance now for TV and film. And mm-hmm. uh, so when I did and I started auditioning, um, <clears throat> lo and behold, the, the whole culture of film and TV in America had changed because of streaming, Netflix, cable TV. There were more roles, more real content for Asian Americans, you know, and especially men. I mean, there were, you know, women had more roles because they were, you know, Asian women, a commodity in some ways, you know, but not Asian men, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was lucky that I saw an ad for Steven Soderbergh's The Nick to audition and I auditioned for that and I got the part and that just blew open the doors for me. Um, that's awesome. I tried to make it a nutshell, but no, that's no, great. no, no that's, I mean, great. that's like no. such a wonderful story. I mean, you're right. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm obviously I'm white, but I mean, I've been watching movies for years and, and I can tell that the culture's it's starting to change, but it just feels like it didn't change like super fast because I remember watching the joy luck club, back in what the early nineties and was just blown away. I'm like, cause I'd never seen that culture in that way. They were always stereotypical, like you said. And then there was nothing for years. You know, I'd see little bit of things. You know, the you know, next thing um, that happened big from Hollywood was crazy rich Asians, rich Asians. Right. It which I watched took, that and it took yeah, that long, and I, right? I, I did enjoy yeah. that a lot. In between there was the animated Mulan. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <In between. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Right. But then since then, we've had Shang Chi, The Farewell, a bunch of other great films are coming out. Yeah, you know? such good, oh, good stuff. Um, yeah. What was the one with uh, Stephen Yuen uh, in, in Arkansas? Oh, uh, Minari. Minari. Yeah. I mean, so you wonderful know, film. So yeah, we watched that last year. It was so good. It's happening. The community is demanding it. So. Listening to your story, again, internet stalking you, I think we're the same age. Hmm. Um, no way. You look way younger. No, no. The, you we, guys are we not are the same age. We are, you were born in 78, right? He's kissing your butt now, man. <laughs> are you born in 70? No, he are you born, born in the same? We, so the internet's, in are you the telling 60s. me the internet's, are you telling me the internet lied to me? No, it, it's, you're bad at math. <laughs> no, I'm telling you right now, right here, it says, it says Perry Young, 78. <laughs> But that's the, date of birth seventy eight. No, 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 I don't Flatters think that's true. No, no, that is the first time the internet has ever lied to me about you know stalking. What? An I interview. bet you, I bet you, Perry edited that on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm born. I'm the same age as uh, Brandon Lee. Oh, okay. so, so in the, I, I so in the 60s the he was born, right? Yeah, do yeah, yeah. early. Yeah, um, man, I remember when I'll never forget. I don't remember. Princess Diana, when she died, I don't remember any famous real things growing people growing up when when they died. But I remember specifically, not to get all uh, morbid, but I remember Brandon Lee's death. I was on mm-hmm. my way to Little League practice, wow, and I was listening to local radio station, and it was just like a ninety two point seven WOBM. How is that for a callback? <laughs> See, yeah, right? things like that and, stick with you. And I remember. Because I was so excited, I read, you know, back then there's no the internet, you know, and I was in New Jersey at the time. I lived in New Jersey at the time, so like not a lot of media type of, you know, not even websites out at that point in time. And I remember reading, uh, I think it was like Cinescape or something or one of those uh, magazines. Entertainment to, Weekly. Or, yeah, one of yeah, those that, yeah. that he was making the crow. And then on <clears throat> WOBM, I'm driving to practice with my mom and it said Brandon Lee had died. And I'm like, 
holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, like what? I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, no freaking way. And like, you know, growing up Chinese American, you know the dad's backstory mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. like, even though the movie was completely wrong about the whole curse thing, like they play that up so much, but like, you knew about like what his Chinese name meant, mm-hmm. right? And then all of a sudden it transfers over to his son. And I'm like, oh my God, that's insane. Um, but I, I just remember that, but I, I listened to like, I've, I've had a few Asian, we've had a few Asian Americans come mm. on the show or Asians, I should say. And I got to say, like, my story is so different than anybody else's mm. because, uh, as far as the people I've talked to interviewing, um, my story was like my, my parents immigrated in the seventies, in the seventies or sixties, seventies. And I was, I'm first generation, um, and my dad tried to integrate us. Like we were on that side of the immigration where he tried to like immigrate us. We, we, you know, we lived in the ghetto for a little bit when we first moved, when we first were young. And then he moved us to the suburbs and I thought we moved up in the world and it never occurred to me that I was like surrounded by white people. Like it was, there was no culture of Chinese Americans. Like my, everybody in the neighborhood knew us because every single Chinese new year, mm-hmm. my mom would make Chinese new year for all of my white people friends. Like, like to this day, to this day, I have my childhood best friend's sister asking me for my mom's egg roll recipes to this yeah. day. Um, but I, I didn't have that influence. Like, and, Sad to say, like, I was ashamed growing up being Chinese because, like, we were made, I was made fun of. I didn't have a gang of Chinese people of, of friends. Role you know, all and, my friends yeah. were white. I didn't have my first Asian friend until I was 21. <clears throat> wow. In, in college at Rutgers. That was the first time I had a Chinese friend. There's a, f- and I just, I'm sorry. There's a funny thing about that. Your experience means that sometimes when you then see another Asian, you kind of don't want to associate with them, right? Uh, well, it's because of the way that I was, you know, influenced right. by white people, unfortunately. Like I, you know, my, my, and I look back on it now, like I wish I had that influence because, you know, like, like for example, my first stint of racism was in kindergarten. Mm. Wow. I don't remember graduating kindergarten. I don't remember my first day of first grade. I remember my first day of kindergarten because I was, I was that kid crying, but I remember my first stint of racism was in, was I was five and I didn't know it at the time. Um, and then I ended up having my first best friend was black. We were the only two non-white kids in the school. Oh, wow. or in, I'm sorry, in the class. In the class. <laughs> and we became best friends because wow. we were the only two non-white kids. And I remember bringing fried rice my first day of school. And I'm eating and everybody's eating like ham and cheese and peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and, I'm eating, and I'm eating like fucking fried rice, <laughs> like good homemade fried rice. And I'm scarfing this shit down and white people are just looking at me all weird, white kids. And looking back on it now, I'm like, fried rice is a thousand times better than ham and cheese and peanut butter and jelly. Screw you. Right. But at that point in time, it, it made me ashamed of my culture. So like as I've grown up talking to people like you and other Asians that we've had on the show, it's so cool to listen to their stories because like the problem with being a, a like me, a drip saying that like I'm kind of a foreigner in both worlds because I did go visit Hong Kong. And then I found out that like I kind of don't belong there too because I only understand Chinese. I'm not that great speaking it. Like I'm great ordering dim sum, you know, <laughs> but, but, but as far as like having a Chinese conversation, 
it'll sound like I'm four years old. Forget about it. Um, right. So like I, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of a foreigner in both, both cultures. So I many don't really of us fit are. in. Yeah. yeah, but you had your, but like you know, again from from doing research on you, you had those friends in Chinatown. I didn't have that. Well, so, so, some something that the internet doesn't know uh, is that my family bought a Chinese restaurant in Texarkana, Texas, oh, shit. Uh, and so we re- relocated to Texas when I was thirteen for three years, running the quintessential archetypal Chinese restaurant in the middle of nowhere. Right. So, so I was at that time when I walked into the Pine, uh, Pine Street Junior High in Texarkana, Texas, I was the only Chinese. We were the only Chinese family in the whole town. So I had uh-huh. that experience of being like the alien that landed, uh, in right, the school. Right. And right, right. I, I wouldn't say they were racist. They were just, they were just really confused, confused and surprised <laughs> and yeah, yeah. not understand understanding why i was there and especially when mm. i opened my mouth i mean my english was better than their english right and so they just couldn't believe it you know <laughs> Didn't expect it right so that further actually put, uh, put uh, you know divided us because they just they were confused like why, why is this person with, with with an alien face speaking english better than me and he's better at yeah. math in school and everything you know and it's not that i was a good uh, good at math it was just that that <clears throat> level of education in texas at the time was lower standard than in america right so when i had to read a passage in my english class i realized that a lot of people couldn't read in my eighth grade class <laughs> wow and i was like oh my god wow. they can't even read so i I'm you like, gotta dumb it down <laughs> dumb it down perry <laughs> I mean, dumb like, it down. they're alienated me you know, You're right, right. from being their friend <laughs> um so i had that experience and i could say that that i i was able to see the difference between having being in a multicultural society like Oakland, where I had black and Mexican friends also, to no one. You know, when I walked into the cafeteria that first day in school, that cat- cafeteria was split in half with blacks on one side and whites on the other. Wow. Down in the middle, way down at the end, was this little table with a few Mexicans. You know, and I went to sit with the Mexicans. Cause it was like, <laughs> you know, it was, and they were like, hey, over here, you know. And like, it was so bizarre. I had never in my life been in that situation where, where uh, segregation was just like uh, uh, splashed on me, like, you know, a bucket of cold water. I was like, it was sobering, you know? So I had that experience too. And I see that like you, when I go to Hong Kong, I don't really fit in there. I mean, the, the several times I've been there because you realize how, how Eurocentric your thinking is when you're in Asia, right? But when you're in America, you see that your skin is just so apparent that you don't belong. You know, you're not white American yeah. or black American or brown. So you're the perpetual foreigner, right? They call, they call us, right? A perpetual foreigner. Right. So yeah. And right. I could say that is the reason why I am an artist today, you know? <laughs> so, so Perry, uh, this is, I mean, this was all one big roundabout ruse. For you to be Vic's best friend, so that's how we just, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> All right. Anyway. Well, it's I mean, it's like I said, it's it's interesting because you know I you know even when you went to Texas, you were probably still proud of your heritage, right? Like growing up, I didn't really kind of have that. I didn't have like that type of influence. Like my parents did everything to fit in. You know, and I was always, unfortunately, it was like, you know, you grow up with teenage years, you're already ashamed of your parents when you're a teenager, right? Add being Chinese on top of that. And then, like, I realized as at an older age, like, probably in my 30s, that, like, wow, I experienced a lot of fucked up stuff. 
and I don't know how to deal with it other than talking to other Asian Americans that have had that influence. Mm. Like, and I, I've just started to, in the last seven or eight years, just realize like that I should have never felt that way. And I should have been more like, and especially having kids too. Like my kids ask me about Chinese new year and stuff all the time. And I'm literally explaining this stuff to them. Like I'm a white person. <laughs> Like sadly, sadly, that's, and I feel so inadequate when it comes to my own culture because my, and it's kind of like that. I'm sure you've seen it before where immigrants come in and they want their kids to fit in so badly um, that they lose their culture. Mm. And that is certainly true with immigrants who land in a place that's mostly non, not of their culture, like your experience. And so when I did land in Texas, I did experience culture shock and started to develop internalized racism, which I didn't know was happening, right? Because I'm only a 13-year-old kid and my parents are immigrants. Who's going to explain that to you? You know, their job is to get the restaurant running, work 18 hours a a day, and like, Mm -hmm. you know, try to pay the rent on this, on this new life. And they barely speak English, right? So they're, they're not going to know what you're going through. And their experience of being coming to America is like, you know, we, we came from another country. You're just moving to another state. You know, it's not a big deal, right? Yeah. But it's actually, yeah, right, right. It's, it's actually quite huge. So by the second or third year in Texas, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I don't speak Chinese. No, I don't eat Chinese food, you know. No, I don't like rice, you know. Right. But I, it was yeah. hard to it was hard to get away with that lie when my family owned the only Chinese restaurant in Texas. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you had to make sure you had a McDonald's bag yeah, at the table. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, I was. But it wasn't like my friends were racist. You just you just felt like you wanted to connect with them and conform to them, you know, right. and say, "I'm like yeah. you, you know, I'm like you guys. I, let's go get that giant burger for ninety nine cents, you know, with the that comes with a side of fried chicken wings. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's do that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so, like, even though the Chinese chicken wings probably were way better, right? <laughs> the whole time he's like, yeah. "Right, well, this <laughs> sucks. This sucks." Yeah, man. I, mean, I hate this McNugget. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, our culture is not set up to um, to have you know the, the kind of counseling and therapy that. Uh, in school that supports kids, right? Kids need that. This is also a ruse to, right. this is also a ruse for my therapy too. This <laughs> <laughs> is cheap therapy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I was, I had a, a podcast with the fan brothers uh, a couple of years ago and they said something about being black also in a, in a, in an area that was mostly non-black. So when you see another black person in the room, you like want to leave and don't want to associate with them because mm. then it makes you more black. You know, right, um, right. That makes sense. You know, as ludicrous as that sounds, it makes yeah. sense. <laughs> I, I I played I played sports growing up, like uh, so football, and so on the football field that was the most integrated that I felt growing mm-hmm. up until I went off to college, uh, all the way up to high school is the only way that was integrated. But even then, it was mostly white and black. Right. I guarantee you, I was the only Chinese quarterback in the state of New Jersey, right? And maybe there was one or two Mexicans across the field from us. That's it. So my friends growing up were all white and black and I had, my culture was sports. So like I played Madden and then it wasn't until I went to college 
where these Asian guys were doing all this studying, not drinking, and and playing PC games, right? And I'm sitting there like, no, I want to play Madden and I want to go drinking, you know. And and so like I never got along with them because they were they were fobs, basically. Mm-hmm. All of them were fobs. And my first Chinese friend was like me. He was first generation, I think first or second generation born in America, Chinese. And even then, like I had to kind of pull him into like sports culture and stuff mm-hmm. like that and drinking. I remember the first time I got him drunk, he threw up for like three hours. Wow. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but even then, like it was, it was like me still not, you know, it wasn't the same thing. And again, it wasn't until almost 10 years, like from here, 10 years ago that I started <clears> to <throat> pay attention to how things were. I didn't even know about your own peril. Like I didn't even know about it growing up because we were never taught it. And I definitely didn't take Asian studies growing up. You know, I took more English studies because I have an English degree actually than I ever, I never took, I even took more black history than I, I never took an Asian <laughs> well, history that's, that's because it was not available. I mean, so now, <clears throat> now there's a couple, uh, Grace Meng in New York City and um, I forgot a senator from Hawaii has written these uh, bills to make, uh, make it, um, we have to teach uh, Asian American history in K to 12. You know, in some states, they already um, right. are, are legalizing it. But there's, I mean, I'm sure Florida is going to push back, you know. But like, yeah. you know, so it Florida was not available. Texas. Like, like I did not learn about my history until I went to San Francisco State when they're la- where they allowed in Asian American studies. And that's because in the 60s, wow. SF State fought and struck for people of colors uh, for those the department for uh, it's called the Department of Ethnic Studies. Nobody was teaching black history. You know, and, and at San Francisco State, they called it La Raza for like Spanish or Latinx now history in America or Asian American history. Nobody was teaching that in the 60s. Wow. And so they had to strike and they, they faced police batons. Police were beating these students to say, we don't want to teach what you want to learn. You're just going to learn what we want to teach you. Is that crazy? So um, I do want to get back America. to I want to touch upon a term you mentioned just now, FOB. I wonder how many people know what that means, FOB. Oh, uh Fob is fresh off the boat, right. basically. And that's that's where that ter- that's where that TV show name came exactly. from. Exactly, right. and Eddie Huang, right? So I want to also connect with Eddie. Had that uh, a scene in his first episode of Fresh Off the Boat where he was eating his lunch. His mom made right. him right, and exactly. everybody was like, oh, "What is right. that? That's horrible! It smells horrible!" Right, and he was like, "What? I I didn't know that. I never knew that. You know, I mean, so right. yes, that's the pressure of assimilating, right?" You know, these ignorant kids might not even necessarily say it in that manner. They're just going to ask, what is that? You know, I've never seen it yeah, before. Right, yeah. And that is what causes internalized racism, that, you know, that I went through and I had to like unlearn, right? Coming back into the Bay Area after my, we gave up the restaurant because my, you know, my dad contracted cancer and all this. So we had to sell the restaurant, move back to California, be with family. And then suddenly I was like a nobody in California because I, I blended in. <laughs> I, you know, so I had a reverse <laughs> culture shock of like, oh my Hello, gosh, I'm here. You yeah. know, and, you know, in, Remember me? In, in Texas, everywhere I went, the room would stop because they never seen yeah. a Chinese person before. I'm talking about the late 70s, you know, 80s. Wow. There are places yeah. where they've never met an Asian person. In You know, they might see pictures of them, but never in person. So. People, the curiosity is what, like, wow, you know, I had all this attention. I was like a rock star everywhere. But um, after I came back, nobody looked at me anywhere because I was like anybody else. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> reverse culture shock, you know? Right, right, and, right. Um, luckily, I had, you know, 
had my guitar, you know, and saved my life, you know. Yeah. You're like, I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you don't understand. I was the only Chinese person in Texas. It's, yeah. I got to gotta hear my song, right, about this. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing me and you have in common is that that we we're we're both musically inclined. Mm. I play guitar and I sing, so like when I saw that you know you also play, I think you play bass, right? Too. Yeah, I play guitar mostly, then bass. In the most recent band in New York, that was my theater group, also called Slant. Yeah. And uh, and then you know we were I was a multi instrumentalist, but not formally trained and all, but I could I could use it to say what I wanted to say. That's right. Cool. Right. Yeah. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about your 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 acting career. Um, it seems like your career has basically taken off in the last twenty something years. Um, it's just from from the Nick, and then all of a sudden, you know, you start getting, you know, you're you're in Blue Bloods, you're in the Blacklist, which is one of my favorite shows. Oh, and then, I love that show. And then you get to get shot by John Wick. Um, <laughs> well, no, no. So, okay, so just something about John Wick that's a little confusing. There is another doctor. And I'm in, I'm in, oh, there's okay. a doctor number one who's played by Randall Duck Kim, who's a great actor who was also this guy in the Matrix. So I was in oh. John Week 2. Oh, that's right, right, that's right, 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 right. And in John Week 2, my scene was cut from the theatrical, theatrical release because the film got too long for the theater. And I was at the end of the film. So I, even when we had the screening for the oh, cast, man. I went, oh man, this film is getting long and I'm at the end of the scene. I, I bet you they're going to cut me. Right. And when that scene came, yes, I ended up on the cutting room floor. But the director, Chess Stelhensky, came up and said, "Oh, I meant to tell you before the screening, but sorry, I got so busy." But um, but it's on the DVD or some other video downloads. So I haven't seen the scene myself, but it's uh, it's <laughs> it's out there. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, yes, you know, uh, it was um, it. So just to clarify, I didn't have a film career until I was cast in the Nick, which was two thousand and fourteen. 14. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's when I, my film career and TV career started. Really started taking off. Yeah. But, I mean, your characters are – how do I put this? They're, your father, June, stands out so much amongst all your other roles to me, not because I love the show, but there was just something about your character that I understood his anger. Like, I understood – the shit he had to go through to build up uh his gang being in San Francisco during that time. Like, there's just something relatable. Oh, and this is a question I really wanted to ask you, and you don't have to answer this, but I looked at the writing crew of 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 Warrior and then realized that there's not a lot of Asian people writing these stories and yet somehow the stories work like i'll give you an example the live action mulan doesn't work for me because of all the white people involved behind the camera mm -hmm. some reason it works for warrior can you talk about why that is and, and i understand that it comes from bruce lee and and you know there's influence with 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 shannon and stuff like that but at the end of the day there, it's there's a Asian lot of story but it's, there's but there's white writers there. Can yeah. You, can you attest to why that works on your on your show and not anywhere else? That's a really great question, Vic. So uh, I could only say from a uh, distance that the live action Mulan writers probably did not have the same investment in in or understanding of the authenticity of the uh, culture 
but they were probably trying to fulfill the formula that was required to make the film. So, and there's, you know, formulaic writing that they have to do and all these big budget things to, because they had to go through stages of getting the script okayed, you know, and everything has to, to fit that nicely into a nice package. Warrior didn't have those constraints. And also the showrunner, Jonathan Tropper, is a huge fan of Bruce Lee and is himself a martial artist. So he, oh, Banshee. Yes. He did Banshee, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I love that show so much. Right. Love Banshee. Right, right. And <clears throat> it came from Justin Lin. So Justin had comments mm. on the uh, script. So you had those two, and you had Shannon Lee, right? So you had Shannon Lee who would read the script and give feedback also. And I would say that um, they did not rely on tropes or anything. They just relied on real characters to tell and, and right. rooted in history, right? So a lot of people... Uh, have told me that they big fans of Warrior because of the historical accuracy, like of, yes. of what happened in the laws and and how the you know the whole the power play and and uh, political demagoguery and immigrant scapegoating and all that stuff really happened, you know. And uh, they talk about the Chinese it's, Exclusion Act. They mention it three right. times in the first episode, you know. Yeah. And so that that's something you never hear in history, right? So they're really. Jonathan's really interested in, in what happened historically and who these people are before they are Chinese, right? Who are these people as human beings? And so when we're given that, we can be who we are. You know, we're not acting yeah. to something that's already prescribed as a stereotype. And uh, and also, like you, uh, Vic, what you mentioned was that you sort of understood why I did what I did, right? Because Jonathan gave me those words and I understood those words because my great great grandfather lived that. My great grandfather lived that. I studied that in college. I know all about that oppression and that racism, and how he had to um, strengthen the tongue in order to fight um, the violence of the ducks. Which he says, "I have mm-hmm. the most powerful tongue in Chinatown to prevent vi- the violence of the ducks upon our people." And when I heard that, I went, "That's the Chinese Malcolm X." He loves his people. Oh, yeah. He loves yeah. his people, yeah. right? He's not yeah. like a bad guy. He loves his people, and he's defending his people. And, and he might have to do it by any means necessary, but he's right. going to do it because he loves his people, first of all. And if yeah. you read – so I did some history um, research on Malcolm X, and everybody who had firsthand experience with him says, wow, Malcolm's a nice guy. <laughs> you know, but if, Peaceful. Yeah. if you yeah. read general uh, literature uh, coming from the mainstream, he's not a nice guy, right? The, that's how he's cast. When, when you get the um, sort of the, the the white media, the white media historically is not going to cast this black guy as as a nice guy. But people who knew him said he was very mindful and nice and considerate. You know, um, and so it's like that's another way. Like this guy. I had to find room in Father June, right? Because he's got compassion and sympathy and empathy for his people. And he's a fighter for his people. But he's going to be ruthless if you're going to come. Malcolm X had a thing. I love people, but if you're coming at with coming at me with a noose, I'm not going to love you. Right. Yeah. And and also you have the father-son dynamic, mm-hmm. which is is pretty awesome too i mean that 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 builds a lot of tension it builds a lot of because you have the the young buck who wants to do things differently he's like okay dad your your way has worked but we got to come into the 20th century here like we got to come into the you know we got to do this do these things differently now like there's all this 
new stuff we got to do. And they always those uh, those dynamics are great because you're like, uh, no, like this is this is my way right now. It's not your time. No, it was right. such a gift to read those father and son scenes because this is the first time in television, in American television, that we've had a Chinese father and son relationship. You know, I've mm. never seen a Chinese father and son relationship on any other TV except Fresh Off the Boat. Right by Eddie Huang, right. and that's a comedy. Right. right, that's a comedy. Comedy, right? Um, but so so, and it's a very formulaic comedy. Right, there's no sort of realism. In they kind of, they, they also kind of went. They kind of also went away from the first mm. or second season from that, which, which is why I fell in love with the show in the beginning so much. If you're going to name a show fresh off the boat, I'm going to see scenes which I couldn't believe that scene with uh, Eddie, you know, in in the cafeteria. Like that was that literally was me. Like that's my first day of kindergarten. Yeah, was right then and there, being attacked, also right, bullied. Right, yeah. right. So, but they they kind of went away from that. But like those those things, like your relationship or Father June's relationship um, with the son, I can relate to as well. There's there's things that are universal, right? Like there's universal things in Warrior. If you're non-white you can understand motivations in warrior like you honestly can, or you're sympathetic. I should say, if you're, if you're white, you can be sympathetic to it too. Um, those things are universal, but those, all the intricacies of, Oh my God. When, um, why is why I'm, I'm drawing a blank now? Uh, when he says, um, Oh my God, why am I drawing a blank? This is like my favorite show. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when Jason, when, when young June says, when young June finds out that, uh, that um Assam can speak English mm. and he tells him to put guy mm-hmm. I fucking laughed my ass off. <laughs> right, right. Because right. I couldn't believe I saw that right. on an American show. Right, right. Like basically he said he's he's like loosely translated well, I mean like if you translate it word for word, it basically means something in the street, right? Or like go die in the street. Yeah, you, you fell on the ground on the street. Yeah, but means, but translate, you can basically like you can say have, fuck off. Effort. You know English? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I laughed so hard because I could not believe they used that terminology in 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 the show, and that's why I was so shocked when I checked the writers, and I was like, where the hell did they get this from? This is straight Chinese right here. This is like actual Chinese. I used to watch on those VHS tapes that you got from like the Chinese, the Chinese uh, uh, grocery oh, stores, yeah. right? right? Well, well um, the great thing about Jonathan and the and the whole creative team at Warrior is that they um, allow our input. They 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 okay. say we all own the show I, and we trust sense. you. We cast you because we think you know who these people are and that you're going to elevate the show. So they, when they write these things and it says in Chinese, you know, we can say, Oh, I think he says this in Chinese. I think it would go like this. And it was like when the first time we see Jason Tobin, when they walk into Chinatown and he says, uh, and he brings a psalm, you know, a child brings a psalm off the thing. And, and first thing Jason Tobin says is, do you let old man, you know, just as, yeah. you know, and it's <laughs> so, which is, you know, F you, oh my God, you know, which is so yeah, common yeah. that it, it's a curse, but it's so common that it's normal, right? You can yeah, hear yeah, wow. everybody who speaks Cantonese is like, "Oh my God, this is so authentic, yeah, yeah. right?" Because yeah, it's what yeah, they would exactly. say. You know, it's not made up. It, it, That's it's great. so authentic, right? Yeah. And there were so many moments like that, and, and we'll give feedback to the writers um, if, if something. You know, I've, I've given tweaks, and I said, "I think he would do this." I think, and they were like, "Great," think- you know. Um, but Kenneth Lynn, there is there was one great writer, Kenneth Lynn, who wrote the entire episode five, where they go off on a western. 
Um, oh God! Oh, I love that, that episode. Right? So, right? Much. so that that's Kenneth Lin's all all one that one little wow. chain piece. He's Chinese American, right? So he understands. I mean, the great thing about Kenneth is like for that when I saw that episode, every single line resonated me with with depth in in many ways more than the topical level, right? Like, and there was that sort of if there was another Asian in the room, he'd leave, you know, like the CS, the, the actor CS Lee who plays the Chinese guy in, in that, that ran that tavern. He says, everything yeah. was fine until you two showed up. So you showed right? up. <laughs> and it was just like, if I'm alone, I'm cool. But, but now that you guys are here, there's more Chinese here, you know, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. it just resonated. Right. So if you, yeah, you yeah. know, every single line, that's great. When he fed them, that, never thought of it that way. The chicken, when he was cooked them, the drunken chicken, oh my God. you guys yes. are like, you know, no one eats this, but me, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, everything was so on point in that it was just incredible That's, the lines all the words the sensibility yeah that episode That's yeah, the, the, the food out. the food mm-hmm. too gets me like that's how i know it's being authentic like i don't see some like low main on the table with like fortune cookies right, <laughs> right. like i like when he said drunken chicken in in, in this episode i'm like oh shit that's, i love that stuff you know like it was so you good. paused was, you paused that, to go get some like that's <laughs> Well, I I live in I live in Sacramento now, and like we're very diverse here. So my kids get to grow up with a huge diverse classroom, like way better. I'm glad we moved out here because where I was on the East Coast, no diversity. Uh, here, there's plenty. Okay. Here, there's plenty. So California, so, yeah, there's too up. much. <laughs> California, right? So much right, right, exactly. Chinese Americans in California, you know. Right, right. I mean, that's the thing. Of, I mean, Warrior stands out so much to me. Because of well, the action is just better than even movies. Mm. Like the, the the stunt coordinating that you guys do is unbelievable. Big props but, to Brett Chan and his Hits International company. Uh, I mean, he's amazing. Well, we we've talked so much about this show offline, but one of the biggest things is that for us, um, if if character development isn't there, then usually it doesn't matter like how good the action is. But the action was so good, we're like, I don't. Know. If the character development sucks, like whatever, the action is so good. I've never seen this before, but it just so happens that the writing is so damn good that it's, I mean, I think we've watched this show when it's only two seasons. We've watched it three or four times all the way through. You're not alone. I've actually, Um, I've actually watched it six times. (laughs) My entire, my entire watching is just to get to that Chinatown scene. Well, the, oh God, that's amazing. The fight coordinator, Brett Chan, understands that the, the fight is only going to be as good as the drama that leads into the fight. And then that, yeah, and then yeah. the intention of the character to get through the fight is, is, is the narrative of the fight, you know, and Brett understands that, right? So the, the these fighters oh, have a need, right? They have a need yeah, to get through the good. fight and it comes from the drama and that drama carries on into all the fights and the looks and everything they do. I mean, Brett's a genius. I mean, he's such, and he's also such an incredible human being, you know, when the, when they had the, um, so they train, uh, they train hits international Brett's team train every morning for two hours before the shoot. Right. And so he's invited the cast, which is amazing. So I go in every day, even when I'm not shooting to train with these guys, because it's such a gift. It's like training with the Navy SEALs, you know? I mean, these guys are like the best, mar- uh, I mean, top of the line. I mean, top, cream of the crop, martial artists, stunt people in the world, right? A fulfillment TV. And I get to train with them, so I'm going, you know? And, oh, right, and, right. and yeah, they man. take care of me, you know? Brett's like, you know, the first day I'm like, Brett, I got a bad back, you know? Like, I'm just going to take my time. And he got one of his team on me and, you know, adjust all the uh, training with me. And, like, 
my back has never been better in the last, you know, 20 years after I trained with these guys, wow. you know, because wow. they just know, they just know the body, the physicality, and he takes care of you, you know, it's just amazing. I love Brett and I just can't wait to join them again. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been as happy about a show or a movie coming back than I have with Warrior. Wow. I, 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 I and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I'm like, I seriously <laughs> love this show. Like, and I loved it in the first five minutes oh, when yeah. that right white gets dude off the, yeah. starts uh, making fun of Assam uh, and Assam beats the shit out of him. <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because growing up as a Chinese American, that's what I wanted to do to every single person who's ever said any racist crap to me. And that's why I love the Chinatown scene so much because the community comes together. The two yeah. tongs, all the tongs come together and be like, all right, we'll kill each other, but we're not going to let you white people kill us. And <laughs> yeah, I yeah. loved the Chinatown. The Chinatown scene is almost like Avengers Assemble and Endgame because yeah. <laughs> when, those, when those guys come down oh, the it's street, so cool. so damn oh, cool. and then you have a great moment in that entire fight coming us out of nowhere to save young June, <laughs> yeah. which was awesome. Um, that scene, when I read it, you know, because we get we get the scenes only like two weeks before we shoot or something, you know, because they're still writing as we're shooting. And when I read right. it, I went, oh, my God, I'm going to be on that set every day watching them film because this is it's like historical for me. Oh, because, you yeah. know, we never in our um, in the media for American history or even in the educational systems learn about the lynchings and the and the and the raisings of Chinatowns across America. I mean we've only right. recently been aware of Tulsa, right, for the for the African American community. They've burned down so many Chinatowns. You know, there were Chinatowns yeah, all across crazy. up and down California and into the Midwest and uh Montana, Nevada. So many Chinatowns. They were all burnt down and raised That's and crazy. people were lynched, right? And so that history is not told. But when I saw it written, I went, Oh my God, we're going there. Finally, you know? Finally, this is our moment. It's really centering us. This is why the show is so important. And this is why you guys have seen it for five or six times, you know? And when I was recently out in California, and I just happened to have a trip that coincided with the anniversary of the death of uh, of, of Visa uh, Ratanampaki, you know, the Thai grandfather that was... I probably mangled his name. I apologize. That was pushed <laughs> to his death, right? So that galvanized <clears throat> the Asian-American uh, community someone came up to me and, and started and recognized me and said, oh my God, you're, you're not Father June, are you? No, no, it can't be. Oh my God, it is you. She started tearing up and she said, I've watched Warrior numerous times over COVID and anti-Asian violence to get me through it, you know? Yeah. Wow. And and wow. she wasn't the only one. Then she brought all these other people and I was like, oh my God, you know, Warrior's big. San Francisco wants to own a piece of it, right? The The secretary... Uh, the attorney general of San Francisco was there and he, you know, someone brought me to him and he says, is there any way we can bring warrior to San Francisco? Because this is San Francisco. What happened here? Wow. How can wow. we film right. some of it here? And he was offered mm -hmm. tax breaks. If I could talk to HBO and, and, you know, I tried, I just planted the seed, I, you know, on the lowest cog, right? In the wheel, you know, I can't get anything done, <laughs> but you know, they know about it. They, they know San Francisco loves the show, you know, and, and we yeah, love San Francisco, awesome. right? It's just that, it's cheaper to film where we are, you know, and they're not going to yeah, be able right. to get yeah. it there. So the, well, you'd also have a lot of, you know, alt set alterations too, to, to shoot live. Yeah. Cause it looks right, so different right. now. So, yeah, and, and, yeah, and that's what yeah. I said, you know, the set's going to be so different. <clears throat> maybe, maybe if we filmed on Angel Island, you know, there was a moment because Angel Island didn't change much since then. Maybe 
if we did a scene there. But yeah, so you know, we we you know, uh, Warrior is is a, I can't even say it's more than a dream, right? Come true for someone yeah, like yeah. me because politically yeah. it says what I want to say as a political. Uh, it aligns with my politics as an activist and as an artist and my hero. You know, I wouldn't be here when I was a kid seeing Bruce Lee on the screen said, I can do that. Well, well, speaking of warrior, how did, let, let's talk about how you came about the audition and the process. And, and I want to talk how you, how you got the role. Like, how did you first hear about it? The whole process? Can you, can you share that story? Sure. I mean, when I first saw the audition headline uh, or the production announcement, it was on deadline.com, which is, you know, an industry website for actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. and it said Justin Lin and Jonathan Tromper of Banshee with Shannon to produce. Um, warrior based on Bruce Lee's writings. I went, Oh my God. <laughs> ding, 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 I ding. Went, this was like 2016 or something. I went like, I got, I have to get on that show. No matter, it's, you know, it's like a pipe dream, right? Every actor wants to get on that show. Every Asian American actor. So I called my manager. I said, like, can we keep a lookout on this? Cause when they start auditioning for actors, I will audition for any role, any role they have. I don't care, you know? And, uh, you know, a year went by, I didn't really think about it. And then one day I got the call and they says, Hey, there's an audition in Warrior for you. Um, Father June, the, the, here's the breakdown. Father June, 70s was the age range. Shock of white hair, you know, milky eye from the, from his years of fighting, you know, like the opium wars and all this. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to order, you know, awesome. <laughs> I'm going to audition for that guy. You know, I didn't have any hair, right? So I'm like, but I'm going to do it anyway, you know? Um, right, right. so I'm like, you know, it's a big, you know, his, so Father June, if you, if you recall from the show, all, most of his dialogue is monologues. Monologues. He doesn't really yeah, have yeah. a, you know, he talks a little bit, but he's got these big speeches, right? And that's kind of the, oh, the bar scene. Yeah. The bar scene when the he beats scene, a psalm. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. God. They're kind of so hard. <laughs> They're kind of hard to audition for, you know, like, you yeah. know, when you audition <laughs> with, um, dialogue, you have somebody to bounce off of in, in right. the energy. But when you're just, they're solo doing your monologue. It's just all what you can give us, right? It's kind of nerve wracking, you know? So anyway, I went, I better own this. I've got to own this. You know, as I started reading the saying, the monologues, it was the first monologue in episode one about, you know, bowing to him and the ducks, you know, and other, and uh, I went like, did I just get off a boat? You know, you know, the stuff. And, oh God. and I was like, you were such a dick in that scene. It's <laughs> awesome. It's so good. It's really good. Cause I go from, I go from not really liking father June to the end to of you beating the shit out of Assam in the loving bar him so to much. loving him <laughs> because you're like, I'm like, Oh my God, he's really trying to beat Assam to not join this gang, but he's really not. He's really is like initiating him. Love. Mm-hmm. And by the end yeah. of it, you drink to him. I'm like, Holy shit. This is awesome. It's, it's, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt no, no, you. I'm no, sorry no, to interrupt. It's, it's tough love, right? It's tough love. And yeah. I talked about that with, uh, uh, Andrew Koji as we were rehearsing that scene. He was like, well, why, why do I? take that beating you know and i was like you're in a foreign land this is your way in the brotherhood you know if you want to join our brotherhood and keep you safe you know yeah. and, and it's, you know we talked about that stuff but uh so i went I, I have to really own these monologues i have to really know and i started thinking so i was researching malcolm x and and what all this means and i went actually i know all this this is what i would say Anyway, because I know who these, I know who Father June is because of my great great grandfather and the history of Chinese in America all your experiences. and all, all my experiences, my family history. I know who that guy is, you know. And um, so I went to the audition, and but it just turns out that that audition that morning, right? I was preparing my mind. I was going to meditate for an hour before it, 
And then my wife goes, oh, yeah, so you're taking our son to his first day of high school orientation today, right? <laughs> oh, no. And I went, oh, my God, that is on the calendar. And it was like his orientation was at 10 a.m. My audition's at 12 noon. And I went, oh, my God, oh. okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get into his orientation. I get, we get there, and they're giving us all this information about where counselors are. Where, you know, how, right. how do you get, you're how do you get your watch. <laughs> I'm like, he can't understand all this stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to take this information down. It's running over, right? It's getting to 1130. I got I to gotta get to my audition. And we get out late. I put him in a cab. I send him home. I get into a cab. I go to the audition. I get there, and I'm like five minutes early. I'm like, oh, my God, I got five minutes to meditate. As soon as I opened the door, they went, oh, Perry, hey, are you ready? Let's just go. And I went, oh, my God. Oh! <laughs> I was like, this is my moment, right? Okay, I go in there. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of sweating from rushing there. I'm trying to dry myself off. And she goes, okay, should we just go? I'm like, okay, go. You know, boom, I do the monologue. I think I did okay, you know. And she stops the camera and she goes, stop what you're doing. They want someone really solid. You want to try it again? And I went, holy shit. All that stress that was from the my son's orientation was all showing up on my face and everything, right? Yeah. I was probably breathing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I yeah. thought I was doing nothing, right? You know, so I said, okay, give me a second. I turned around. And I went like, this is what I've been waiting for. You know, for, for a year, this audition. I, I, I'm going to fuck this up, you know? And then Be Like Water just came into my brain. I was like, this is Bruce, man. I'm channeling Bruce. He just he just answered right. me. He just said, be like water. And I turned around. I said, okay, let's do it. Did the monologue. And she stopped. And she goes, great. You ready for the next one? I said, let's do it. You know? And after the next one, she goes, okay, great. Thank you so much for coming in. We'll be in touch. You know, they say that all the time. So you, don't, you have no idea what's right. going to happen. They're going to look yeah, at 20 no other idea. auditions and stuff like that. <clears throat> right. And then we went on... Um, it was something Daniel like, Day Kim is the, the <laughs> <laughs> oh shit <laughs> yeah exactly no okay so uh, yeah so other get people, lost <laughs> it, it was an international it was an international yeah, yeah. search right yeah, so yeah. It's, you know they saw everyone that you can imagine you know um, wow and so so something well there was a holiday like Memorial Day or something um, so I knew that I wasn't going to hear from them over two days over the weekend and then another day. And it was kind of excruciating because, you know, as an actor, you, you, you think you're not supposed to think about it after you do the audition. You show them what you got. It's out of your hands. You move on. You move on yeah. because, you know, if you wait and you cross your fingers, it's just stress. And you and nine times out of ten or, or, or more, you're not going to get the role, right? So we waited. I waited. I waited. I didn't hear it for four days. And I went, okay, it's done. I'm not going to get it. And then uh, and I'm driving back from from our trip, you know. And my, my, my phone rings in the car as I'm driving. I was like, oh, it's my agent, but I can't take this as I'm driving. And I'm getting on like, oh, my God, I can't, you know, I, you know, so I drive another hour, I get home and I call my agent and he goes, warrior, let's talk. Nice. Oh, that's what he said. That's what he said. It was on the message. I checked my messages. And I just, You're too vague. I just screamed, man. <laughs> I just screamed because it was like a dream, you know, it's like I, I just couldn't that's believe. So cool. Like the, the steps that, you know, like all the ups and downs and all the, how, you know. How did that feel when you did your, first of all, what was the first scene that you uh, recorded? Yeah. That you were filmed? It, it was, was that first, first scene? scene when, when Assam comes Oh, was in. that scene? That okay. That was the very so first scene. what did that feel like to be in costume and to be on that set, which looks, the sets are amazing too. They don't get enough props. That set is ridiculous. Set and costume design? Costumes, ridiculous. A toy's costumes? <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, the a, women's a to- costumes a, a, are amazing. A toy has like some of the best dresses I've ever seen on TV. Yeah, like, amazing. The costume designer for your show yes. is amazing. Every single member of the creative team are top notch, and that's why they were assembled to do exactly that. Their job, you know, Andrew Lawson was the art director who designed the sets. You know, he's awesome. He's totally amazing. He's spot but, on too. You know, in the detail of everything. It's it's fantastic. Um, so, did, did, sorry, uh, we got <laughs> we go on these like tangents, yeah, but no, I'll uh, but how did that? I mean, did you just kick right into character? Well, like when that. They said action, like you just, just like, or was that the nerves? Like what, what was going all on? All of there? that, all of that. Um, so what happened was I had to, the eye, right? The scleral eye, the lens, the white oh, eye. Yeah. I had to get yeah. that fitted in New York, right? Before I went and they were like, we, we, we might not have time. So could you visit this optometrist, get that special eye designed? And I went there and I got, got it. And it was really uncomfortable, right? You, you know. <laughs> You can't CG this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. I know, right? So, um, yeah. And, you know, acting is hard already, but sometimes when you have a distraction, it's even harder, you know? And so mm. we get to South Africa and we tried it and it, it wasn't a good fit. They were like, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with that. We have to make another one. So they made another one. I never had a chance to audition <laughs> or try that eye out until the moment right before we shot, right? So, oh, my God. So they were like, okay, right before we shoot, we, we, we pop this thing in and, and it's like suddenly I can't see with one eye. Right, because it's blurry, and so my equilibrium blown uh, thrown off. I couldn't really walk straight, so I had to have an assistant walk me to the set because it's a little like that. And then there's cables on the floor and everything. Oh, and so they say, okay, let's rehearse this thing. And I'm realized, oh man, I can't even say my lines because this thing is bothering my eyes. And then it was like, you good? Action! <laughs> I'm like. Whatever comes out of my mouth, I mean, you know, will come. And then, Why do you look so weird? Because yeah, you're yeah. all like, <laughs> well, so, you know, luckily, stop doing that. <laughs> luckily, you have a few takes, right? And then, but you know, everybody's on 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 the time. You know, it's like because we have to shoot five more scenes today, right? Let's just get the scene right. And you kind of wonder why does it have to work like that? Why can't we do the art under like really good um, conditions where we don't have to? Like, time is money, Perry. Know, I, <laughs> come on, exactly, right? We gotta we gotta fill these fight scenes. Damn it. <laughs> Exactly. You know. Did you use? Yeah. I, I've heard uh, like Christian Bale had used how uncomfortable the bat suit was as part of his uh, repertoire oh, for being design- Batman. Did the eye make you more pissed off while you were doing that scene? Because <laughs> um, you were so good in that scene. Like when really you come out and just good. say, you know, did I just come off the boat or whatever? And I was just like, holy sh- shit. Like, like, I would, and as you're saying that scene, I'm like, I wonder if he used the irritability of the eye I, as part <laughs> of how annoyed you were in that scene. Did you use that as motivation uh, I or did no? Use an annoyance on the set that uh, trig, you know, like um, influenced some of the some of the the acting. Um, I would say that it didn't come from the eye; it came from, um, I would say. Uh, kind of a disagreement right you know sometimes um i didn't agree with with uh, the director of, of how that scene should have went and, and i felt like he was just kind of like, let's just do this come on let's just try it let's just do let's just try it he kept it was like i disagreed i was disagreeing with how he wanted me to play the scene he goes can you try it for me once just just do the you know so i did it really i had i used the anger that, that i felt like you know he's under i had understood that he was under pressure to get it right and he was pressuring me to do a certain thing that i didn't feel like it should have went that way because you know i wanted the father june to be more of like um marlon brando than al pacino you know what I mean? Mm. Like, but so it ended up somewhere more like Al Pacino in the very <clears> beginning, like a little wild and angry. And so instead of 
really controlled and powerful. Reserved. Right? Reserved controlled, because, right. Because when you're the king, you don't act like the king. People treat you like the king, right? Exactly. And so that's what I was exactly. saying. We were trying to have a conversation, but he was like looking at his watch, you know? So it's like, and you know, it, people think that you have time to rehearse on film. Very often, the time on TV and film, you don't have time to rehearse or, or touch base with someone. You just have to do it in the moment and, and they adjust in the moment. So I use a lot of it. Um, they really, so, and that's, so when I let that uh, take out, it was really angry and it was really grounded in like this dude not respecting me, right? Assam not respecting right. me. And, right. and, and I was, I played it more like Al Pacino, you know, like being like a hothead losing it. And he, <laughs> he really liked it. You know, he really liked like, it. Oh my God. I don't really want Father June to be that guy. I don't think Father June is this hothead that's going to lose it. He's more, he's in control. He goes, all right, let's try another take. I think, I think you got it. Let's try another take. So the other take is the one that ended up finally in the show. Nice. You know, but right. but my original version would have been a little even cool cooler, right? Would have been cooler, right, right? But like, we just never had time to find that, you know. And this is part right. of what you have to wrestle through. But you know, I'm not saying anything bad about the director. It's just all what we want and see, and how you can communicate in the moment. And in that moment, it was like, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on everybody to act, you know. And then you have to mm-hmm. pull it all in when they say action, you know, and make those choices. So. Yeah, I, I did I th- use I the annoyance. The, the scene works great because it, it, you're right. It, it, remembering the scene, it, it's a little bit of both. You're, you're setting, you're setting Assam in his place. You're letting him know because he's new. Like, I'm the guy. Mm-hmm. Don't walk around like you're the guy, even though one on one you could probably kick my ass, but I'm still the guy. Right, right. You know, mm-hmm. like, and that's what I loved about that. That's why I loved hating him in that scene, <laughs> hating your character in that scene. <laughs> and this is how I know you're a great actor, because you're such a dick in that scene, but you're not in real life. And, 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 all, and, I, and I have to give props to the director because he knew that that scene needed someone like that. Right. right. It didn't need somebody that was cool and powerful. It needed somebody who was kind of menacing, right? In that moment in yeah. the first episode. And then right. over the next ten episodes I get to pull it back and peel away the layers and become the more like see, by, like an onion. By, yeah. Like an onion. <laughs> like an onion. And by season two I can become the more empathetic, compassionate father. Oh, right. At the end it's like, yeah. wow, this guy's a father, you know? Yeah, I mean, seeing him from episode one till when you when you leave for Young June to take over is such a one eighty almost of how peaceful you are at the end of that. Like he he was the king of the empire in Chinatown, and he basically just walks away from it all and just says, "You know what? I'm going to start over somewhere else. It's your turn now." I would have never guessed that from the first time I saw no, you in that scene of the song. Exactly. I would have thought, I thought that it was going to be like this, like proto, like stereotypical father-son relationship that you always get where the father doesn't want to let go of his power and does everything to undermine his son. That's a, but he doesn't. That's a great thing about Jonathan Tropper and the other writers is they understand and they kind of dangle that carrot, right? What do you think it's going to be? But then they let they write for the writers and, and, and what's happening, they watch us and they go, Oh, I see that the, this relationship can go that way and they follow us, right? And I was telling Jonathan like I'm I was like how how um happy I was that he was writing like our relationship, father and, and playing up the father and son relationship because we've never seen that. And then he wrote really dramatic stuff that was family based, right? About his mother. I started talking about his mother. You know, right. and how his mother didn't, you know, dropped him off when he was this crying baby, but I didn't see that. I saw a fighter, you know? And so yeah. it was like, 
you know, they, they, he built up this um, really dynamic uh, character that can care, right, for his son. It's, it's also interesting that, again, they, they understand the cultural relationship too. They do. Because a lot like your parents, my parents and most Asian parents, Chinese parents are not going to praise their kid. You know, like you got a 92. <laughs> why didn't you get a hundred? hundred, hundred percent. You know, you can do better. like, how come, right. How come you didn't finish first? You know, if you finish first, how come you didn't finish better first than last time type of ordeal? And that's basically what happens here where father June is basically beating down young June. Cause he realizes when he takes over, there's no, there's no holding your hand. Exactly. You're going to have to make choices that are so freaking tough. And if I don't give you thick skin now, you're never going to get it. But you don't understand that. It's kind of like the Mr. Miyagi doing the wax on, wax off thing. Like, why the hell yeah. am I washing this car? Exactly. Even though, even though growing up watching kung fu movies, you knew exactly why he was waxing that car, right? <laughs> There's some philosophy in that work, yeah. Right, right. I, that's the other thing too. Like I, again, I am blown away by the fact that there's so many non-Asian writers in this show, and it worked. Even the costume designers aren't even Asian. Like I don't like. I was so blown away by how authentic this yeah. show felt in relationships, in culture, in dialogue, in relationships that I was completely shocked that it was at 90% Chinese or Asian writers. Well, like that's, that's mind blowing to me. Yeah. They, they care, you know, like uh, Justin Lin, Shannon Lee, Jonathan Trauber, they care about doing good art and authentic and authenticity. Right. So they're not working for a big machine that has, um, that, that has to put a stamp on it. Like, like uh, Mulan, right? They have you have to have the Disney stamp on that movie, so they have to fit into their. Um, right. You know, Warrior didn't have those constraints or restraints, you know. So we were able, they were able to go with gut feeling, authenticity, work their artistry, and choose and find the creative team that they trusted and and liked, you know. So right. we were extremely lucky, and to have, like I say, everybody <laughs> on board is so top notch. I mean, even when I'm on set, I like to go. I mean, I'm studying my fellow cast members because I'm going, oh, my God, they're so good, you know, <laughs> because off camera, they're someone else completely. Right. right you know, right. we go have like, drinks. Like afterwards. <laughs> we go drink. We, 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 we go do all hiking and, and you know, afterwards. And, and everybody's totally different from the character. You know, that's right, so right. I go watch them shoot. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's so good, you know, because right. I know who, I know who he is or she is. Off right. Camera. You know, that's right. cool. Yeah. I think, no, I helpful. think if, I think if, if Warrior ever brings Chi into the show, then you've <laughs> gotten the wrong, you've gotten got got the wrong, wrong writers. <laughs> because that is, that is the, uh, that is the typical, yeah. uh, thing that happens, uh, when you get a white writer or non-Asian writer or writing wire food for Asian. Or, yeah. yeah. Like, um, for some reason, chi is the you know the word yeah, right. that they have to use. Right, right. Um, well, I think so. I think Kenneth Lynn being in the writers room was a, a huge thing. He left you know after season two because he now he's got a big contract somewhere else. But we brought in uh, we're, we're having an Asian female writer for season three and uh, another a white woman writer and a black woman writer. On the team. Are you are you back for season three? Uh, or you can't say. I well, did you want to put a well? You know what? You don't have yeah. to answer that. You don't have to say it, but the fact that you know that Check his there's IMDb. writers. <laughs> well, I don't know. The internet lied about his age, so I'm That's not going to believe that. <laughs> yeah, it's but, true. But, 
but the <laughs> fact that you know the writers, I think I, I have a, an idea whether or not you're going to be in season three. And I'm just going to say that I, I, I'm I'm going to be happy. I think that, you'd yeah. be, I think, I, <laughs> Let's just say that. I think you'd be yeah. very happy. I mean, I think from what I've been told, um, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shit. Well, I mean. But what you've been told, the show is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, from the writer's mouth. That, you know, they said season three is as, is as different to season two as season two is to one, you know. It's going to oh, go God. somewhere else, I, you know. I'm getting, go- and, I'm literally getting goosebumps. I cannot wait for the show. Yeah, I mean, everybody yeah. was, you know, you can't imagine the fan base out there. I mean, most of the fan base are not Asian. You know, they're just they yeah. just love good yeah. shows, right? You know, yeah. yeah. And so you yeah. should see those the people that came out and the DMs I get about you know just so happy with this incredible show for whatever reasons, yeah. whether it's martial arts, um, the acting, the the um, the writing, the historical aspects of it, what it represents, the storytelling, all of it is top notch, right? And that's why HBO brought it back. Really, I I I was so shocked. Like literally, it was always like, you know, let's bring back this white show. It's going to happen. It's and and Warrior was such a little niche, like because like it was on Cinemax also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I, where and it I, started. I didn't yeah. have I didn't have Cinemax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew mm-hmm. about the show. I know I promoted the show when I first heard mm-hmm. about it and when it came out, but I didn't have Cinemax. And that's and that's why they knew I, it was going to be so big because it, it it made a huge splash from with no advertising. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, all, right? it just Max. it yeah. just dropped on HBO Max. I'm like, I'm finally gonna watch right. it. And I think I texted you. I'm like, holy shit, dude, you got to watch this show within five like, minutes. He texted me. Yeah. He's like, stop what you're doing and start watching the show. I'm like, all right. I, you know, we always talk about you know that's what our that's what our podcast is about. You know when I and when I did the sorry, first uh, like a, a Comic Con and we, we, my booth was next to some of the original actors from the movie Warriors. Come on. Oh, oh, okay. oh Warriors yeah. <laughs> from the 80s. And so, uh, yes, from the 80s. Oh, God, that's a little one of confusing. My movies, right? So, yeah. uh, one of those guys looked at me and went, Oh, my, Warrior? He went, I was like, Yeah. And I'm a big fan of yours. I, I'm, I'm sorry, like, I couldn't remember, but he was a character, the black guy with that sort of, um, with the, yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. headband and the, and the sort of very kind of, um, uh, Arab look. Yeah. You know, he was like, when I saw Warrior on TV, I was calling all my friends. You gotta watch the show, you know. <laughs> you know, and he goes, "Your son, Young June. Oh my God, your son, Young June." You know, and I was like, yeah. "I mean, that was a an, an incredible circle because I grew up what you know. I loved Warrior, and I was like, one day I'm going to be in New York City and I'm going to ride those trains just like those gangs, you know." And That's then for awesome. him yeah, to say yeah. that he was a fan of Warrior, I was like, "Oh my God!" Everything wow. came full yeah, circle. That was That's amazing. so crazy. I'm so like I, I. It's just one of those shows, and the history of the show, and the people involved in the show, in front of the in front of the camera, especially like Assam and 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 Young June, Jason Tobin, and Andrew Koji. They're just so good. And one of my new favorite characters from season two, uh, man, Hung. Uh, Han. Yeah, yeah. Hung. Oh, oh my yeah, god, yeah. I love that guy. Oh, I love that guy. The boots. Chen. Chen Tang. Yeah, yeah. Jen, yeah. He is. Everybody is so good in the show. Yeah, it's like the women. Mm-hmm. A toy is like my other favorite yeah. character too. I'm, she uh, is so amazing. I mean, when I saw that Dustin Nguyen was in the show, you know, plays Jane, oh, God, yeah. you know, and like yeah, um, he was like a hero, That's old school. He was a hero yeah, yeah, old school. Heart, you know? 
Yeah. Even before Daniel Day came, right, 21 Jump Street, I mean, you saw him, right. and it was like, yep. it, it was so rare, you know? That's and so then cool. To be, to be hanging out with, you know, Dustin on the set, and, and it's like, wow, this really is a dream come true. It's, it's, well, I mean, you've got some really OG, like, Asian people in, in front of, in front of the, like, uh, Hoon Lee. Mahoon, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, talk about a, a connection to Brandon, right? Oh. Oh, right. right, right. Right, with Rapid, he was in, I think Rap- he was in Rapid Fire, right? Rapid Fire, I think. Was he? I didn't know that. Maybe. I, I don't know who he I, was. I think he was, he, I think he might have been the, um, the one guy who goes against, uh, uh, Zima, uh, in that, because he was the main character in that show. I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry, in the movie. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I can't recall if it is or not, yeah. Wait, was it? You're me? lying. <laughs> I did I make it I up again? <laughs> yeah. Did I, did I lie again? You're putting together a movie you want to see. <laughs> I'm just throwing Asian names um, out there. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who plays Long Z, Henry Yook, he was in yeah. um, The Last Dragon. There was a, a yeah. scene in The Last Dragon with three uh, Asian guys. and like, He's always recognized for being in that scene. So I've known Henry for like 30 years in New York City from seeing theater things together and having worked with the same theater companies. But we never worked together. Until we got right. cast in Warrior, so it's great to have that opposite so opposition cool. play that scene with him, uh, Father June and Long Z, you know, uh, with an oh, old friend gosh. of mine from New York. So it, it was just uh, <laughs> truly, truly an amazing moment. And um, if I can give a plug right now, I don't know if your your, your podcast will be oh, out. Go. No, no, but, please, um, this is a good time to do it. This will this will actually drop tomorrow. Oh, really? Okay, so um, yeah. yeah. I'm uh, Henry and I are in an episode of The Equalizer, Queen Latifah's Equalizer, and that's oh, March sixth. Uh. That's next Sunday. It's going to air. Yeah, that's and um, yeah. So it's the two of us from Warrior, and we have a scene together in the in you know a hundred. It's like a hundred and fifty years later in New York City. You know, um, <laughs> and so I, I think I think you would you would love it, Vic. It's, You're immortal. It's a scene about uh, anti Asian. It's a movie about it's an episode about anti Asian violence and Queen Latifah uh, and the Equalizer. That episode really steps up, you know, and I think it's doing what Hollywood should do amidst this um, wave of violence against Asian Americans. Yeah. They're making art and telling the story, and they're saying yeah. they're pointing at the problem and and actually offering a solution on what we can do about anti-Asian violence, you know, so it's a really great oh, wow. episode. And I hope that, um, I hope that it gets, you know, called out for that. Yeah. That's something that Hollywood, Hollywood should do. They should write stories like this. What, what's, I know growing up, my now you were in Oakland, so you had way more black friends early on than I did. Mm-hmm. Did, did your black friends, like my dad said, black people loved Bruce Lee oh. because not only did he fight against the system, but he also beat the shit out of Chuck Norris. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Uh, I saw the culture change when Bruce Lee was uh, hit the scene. I saw the culture change because I was a kid. Uh, Chinatown was right on the border of uh, West Oakland, which was one of the most impoverished black neighborhoods of Oakland. So we had a real, we had Chinatown, which, which was impoverished, next to West Oakland and Right down the middle was Broadway, right? So Broadway was that border where if you ventured mm. off, you can get your ass kicked, get mugged. And, and you know, it, it was just a dangerous street, right? You had to really watch out. But it was also a really exciting street, right? So we were kids. I'm maybe like six or seven years old. We'd go as gangs, you know, from Oakland walking down Broadway to the 99 cent stores. 
to those 99 cent movie theaters that that uh that are grindhouse theaters that show these kung fu movies and black exploitation films back to back right so we can watch a kung you know 18 bronze men with blackula and, and you know like back to back you know and right, uh, right. and foxy brown right those those movies were like and, and as soon as as long as we got in the theater we were safe you know right when bruce lee hit all that changed because suddenly asian kids were cool we were no longer like picked on you know, we'd go to see Return of the Dragon. I mean, there was a line around the block, and as we walked down the line, <laughs> black and brown people would be high-fiving us because they were like, suddenly we were cool, you know? And, you know, yeah. and you realize and why. the white people are watching Star Wars. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, and, um, we're, we're watching Enter the Dragon. There's no Asians in space. No. You have Jim Kelly, right? They he mm. put black people in his movies, right? And black people. Yeah. That scene when Jim Kelly comes out of Enter the Dragon and these two white oh, cops pull him over so and, and search him <laughs> and pulls out his plane tickets, right? Before he gets on that boat to Hong Kong for the tournament, pulls out his ticket and the white cop goes, Oh, this jig ain't going nowhere. As soon as that happened, Jim Kelly kicks him, <laughs> right? Hits him, kicks their ass, gets in their car and takes off. You should have heard the audience explode every time. Oh, yeah. every oh time. my God. Because, you know, yeah. black people, they know about police violence right oh, oh and why do you yeah, think they yeah. put that scene in the movie you know right so well, bruce bruce yeah, i mean jabbar i mean you know, if you know anything about bruce growing up in america like he experienced all that mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm, exactly and, and he saw but he didn't and he was so welcoming to everybody and that's basically what got him in trouble with the old school chinese people or kung fu masters but like he he had white people, he had black people, he had Mexican people all in his class. Anybody who wanted to learn because he didn't believe education or that type of stuff should have been uh, basically gate-kept. Bruce, uh, Bruce you know? experienced this, uh, civil rights marches. He saw what should happen with solidarity, right? That He said, we, we need to get together as people of, of all colors to fight the bigger uh, enemy, right? So... He, he experienced that and he saw that w- what he had to do was use his artistic voice to bring people together. You know, John yeah, Saxon, I mean, right? Jim Kelly and Enter the Dragon. It's like that they can fight, you know, the, the enemy. Now I have this love, love, not hate, but love. I'll just use love hate, but it's not the right term with Bruce Lee. I love Bruce Lee, but I hate the fact that it's been how long since he's died and he's still talked about today. Partial fifty percent because he's a legend, but the other fifty percent because Hollywood hasn't done anything since then. Really, like we had Jackie Chan, but he was imported from China. Mm-hmm. His shit in America does not compare to like mm-hmm. Police Story. No, <laughs> Police Story to me is still one of my favorite action <laughs> wow. movies of all time. Right, right. And but like then you watch like you know Shanghai Noon, and you're like, that's not Jackie no. Chan. That's that's a, that's like Jackie Chan watered Light. down. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so even at Jackie Chan's height, he still never reached Bruce Lee's status. And we still don't have, as Asian Americans, we, we have Asian Americans that are, that are popular, but not to Bruce Lee's status. No. I think, you know what I mean? And, I think we're trying to get there and we made a great leap with Shang-Chi. Right. You know, uh, but it's, but, but Bruce Lee is one individual with a dream, with an, with a drive, right? With an intention right. that's just like, and that's what it takes, right? His original authentic voice and drive and artistry, um, to tell his story. And, and you can't water that down, right? And Bruce didn't, um, water it down. You know, like, like Shannon was telling me a story about when they started filming Enter the Dragon, 
the writers were like, you know, we, we want to change the scene and we want to change the script. And there he was like, no, I, I, I have to. Uh, they didn't want him to use his philosophy, you know, the pointing to the moon. You know, oh, like, right, he goes, right, they right. didn't want him to say any yeah. of that stuff. And Bruce was like, if I don't say that, you're not, I'm not in the film. So there was a stalemate. They started shooting the film without him. And he, he just stayed in the hotel. And finally, they went, they, they, they kowtowed and said, okay, you can shoot that scene, that's, you know? That's a really memorable scene. Yeah, too. right? It is a huge. And, and that's yeah, what Bruce yeah. said. This martial arts <clears throat> is about philosophy. It's not just about the fists, right? It's about your brain. Uh, kicking and punching, right. Exactly. Yeah. So if you can't make, if I can't make the movie I want to make, the person you hired, I'm not going to make this movie. You know? The, the, what was, what he actually filmed for Game of Death, is still one of my most favorite oh, things oh, because he literally did a live action video game without even knowing he did a live action video game. <laughs> right, the levels. Every <laughs> single level and learning a new technique or not learning a new technique but Fighting using the- a new technique right, to was the person. so ahead of his time. There's still – I've seen kind of movies that kind of do – like John Wick actually kind of does yeah. some of that where he changes styles uh-huh. but – not to the effect of like that. I think I think and, it's, that's a, that does come from other martial arts films though that preceded it. You know, like uh, like the Shaolin right. movies. You have to go through levels, right? To go through levels, the right, right. The chamber, Level of learning, yeah. different chambers where you le- learn different skills, right? Gordon Liu had that eight. Uh, but I, I'd never seen it in an, an American, no, no, no. like a, a Chinese American uh, movie. Kill yeah. Bill, yeah, Kill yeah. Bill, I think did it. Well, yeah, but uh, he later. took it right directly from Bruce Lee. I yeah, mean, she's yeah. dressed in that yeah. yellow suit. Yeah. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, uh, Perry, I, man, we've spent so much time. It doesn't even feel like we've spent a lot of time. I, I could talk to you all day, but we, we want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to move into uh, what we call – actually, before we move into the, the final segment, do you have anything else to plug besides the equalizer? Do you want to plug anything oh, else other than great... the fact that you might not be in Warrior? <laughs> I just shot a great, beautiful, beautiful family story with uh, Dua Moi, who's alive. Who was in the live action Mulan that played the the Porky character, the heavier set comic relief? Oh. He's a yeah. yeah oh, okay, yeah, he's yeah. Hmong. He's a Hmong uh, American actor, and uh, his first film was in uh, um, Clint Eastwood's Gran Torino. Uh, oh, okay. about Hmong gang violence and how uh, Clint Eastwood with a neighbor who sacrifices, you know life so that right, his right. neighbor could uh not get um you know uh i i guess receive the violence from the Hmong gangs anyway he was in that film and he's he's done a he's a prolific Hmong actor and he wrote a film based it's kind of autobiographical called the harvest and we just shot right. that and i heard he just um submitted it to sundance so look for the harvest by duomois it's a it's an incredibly cool. beautiful film about family in america Okay, the nice. harvest, right. and nice. it's that's coming out this year I or this year, next year. I hope uh, you know Sundance accepts it. If not, it'll be in the Asian American film. It'll be in film festivals. Yeah. It'll be okay. It'll be around. Okay. Um, awesome. Okay. So th- what we do is we 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 do this thing. We call it the big finish. Um, and everybody that we've ever had on that we interview like this, we their first time on is we always ask them three questions. They're all the same. Um, so. Uh, BJ, so why don't the, you go first with the first question? So the first question is, uh, Perry, what is your all-time favorite uh, character? It could be from any genre. Well, uh, I'd have to say Bruce Lee as, as any one of his characters in any of his films. Okay. So, so what? What kind of what kind of gift 
would you give Bruce Lee? <laughs> That's a follow-up question. I would, yeah, I would give him a flute that I made personally. Oh. You know, I I think I knew you were going to say that. I think I, I just knew you were going to say that. <laughs> As a first time, I could predict an answer. I'm like, I bet he says flute, not not punch in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kill me. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so uh, next question is: What are you watching on TV now? Um, it could be something that you know you're you're. You're binging, or you have to watch when it comes out. What's your favorite thing to watch for as What's far as TV go-to? shows? Right oh, now? I just we just finished. Um, we are all dead. Korean zombie high school uh, movie. Oh, on Netflix. With, yes, yeah. with my son Jet, and we loved it. Man, Koreans can act. Korean actors. Well, Vic's a big pussy. He doesn't like. He doesn't like zombie horror shit. I, I'm, I'm not. Unless we're reviewing it for the show. Yeah, I rarely watch anything horror, but that is actually in my queue mm. because I'm starting to really enjoy the Korean cinema, mm-hmm. like yeah, like, and, and how they and some other stuff. and how they're how they're very socially aware. In their films, right, and and shows, brilliant. I mean, I would say that um, it's it's a zombie movie, but most of it is teen drama about like, oh, do mm. do you like me? I like you now. Can we be boyfriend and girlfriends? Because it's high school, so it's really brilliant how right. they navigate that kind of script <laughs> with with these That's zombies around them. It's really pretty great. Right. It's really pretty. Funny. And and no, I gotta say, Asian out. zombies and and ghosts in Creepy. Asian cinema are the freaking scariest. <laughs> I cannot watch any vampire, like Chinese, like Chinese or Asian horror stuff is so scary to me. I, just how they do it, I don't understand. Those, it's just something about the way they do it. Those Chinese ghost stories I saw when I was a kid. Oh my god, they were they, they were oh god. way scarier than any Western horror movie. Yeah, yet. give me The Exorcist any day. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Those the way that they do their makeup. The way that they they act and sh- I mean I've seen like I forget the name of it but I saw like a horror comedy a Chinese a, uh, a Chinese film that was horror comedy and even then the makeup for the Chinese ghosts and zombies scare the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> all right, funny. so he, here's a here's a question because it, it's it's basically an ensemble cast. So my follow up question is the group of people in that show that are in the that are in the high school. What kind of transportation do you think they would use? Uh, would it be Kit, Airwolf, or Streethawk? <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay. You're, you're, uh, wouldn't be Streethawk. So Kit, Kit was, uh, uh Streethawk was like a, uh, motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. A very yeah, short lived, very short lived TV show with the fast motorcycle. Right. And then, uh, Airwolf was like the helicopter well, show. Street, Streethawk could work because in The Walking Dead, uh, He's got oh. a motorcycle. Uh, yeah, that's okay, true. That's okay, true. Okay. And then Kit, you know, was the, uh, the but based on the sh- right, based right, on yeah. the show though, based on based on that show, which one of those three do you think? I guess it uh, would be Airwolf. Or Airwolf, the helicopter, yes. the helicopter, the helicopter, because they could fly right, away, right? Yeah, <laughs> and blow stuff right. up. That makes total they, sense. They actually used helicopters a lot in that series. Oh, the sh- oh, okay. oh, they do. Yeah. Oh, so now imagine Air Ho- Airwolf is in it. <laughs> Airwolf. <laughs> yeah, that was a short-lived show. We have like we need to change these questions because like, no way, man. Uh, this is so nerdy. That was pretty nerdy. Kit Airwolf. I mean, yeah, it was. Uh, That's old I school, right? Kit, I knew Kit. You know. Yeah. Right. But I didn't know the. Well, because that was on for a yeah. while. But Street Hawk, 
and Street Airwolf. Hawk was very Street Hawk and Airwolf came about because of Knight Rider. Oh, wow. Like, that's true. Like, all right, well, how? What other vehicle can we make souped up? <laughs> and if and you go back and watch, because the other two didn't work, they're like, we're not going to do a talk. If you go back and watch Street Hawk, right? I mean, the motorcycle travels at a ridiculous 400 miles like an hour 300 miles an hour and basically all they do because it's a tv show they just they fast just, forward oh, right, right, the, yeah, you know they, right. they speed but imagine a motorcycle traveling at 300 miles an hour it's no way it's making a 90 degree turn it would just crash and burn <laughs> but as a kid growing up watching that like, i was like bad. that is so cool <laughs> But physics and physical wise, there's no way you can make a turn at 300 miles per hour oh, on, on a motorcycle. It wasn't even like a, it wasn't even a crotch rocket. They actually revamped <laughs> a, uh, a actual dirt, uh, bike. Like an actual, like, uh, you know, BMX, yeah. not a BMX, like an actual, uh, cross, uh, try dirt to, bike. Try to Google it when you get a chance. Okay. It's, it it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But it Airwolf was a cool show, but the guy ended up being like, what a, like a drug addict or whatever. So like the, or an alcoholic or something like that, so they had to cancel the show. But it was really good. <laughs> like he was a pilot for this like helicopter, this like crazy technological, you know, that helicopter. Was, that was faster than like F sixteen. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I got a I got an idea about a boat. They're like, No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we're done with no. that. Yeah, we can't have too many uh boat Talking busts. <laughs> um <laughs> what happens when you have to go on land? <laughs> oh, <crap>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what are your what? Okay, last question. What are your favorite three films of all time? Oh my god! Um, Probably changes. this is the one that usually stops stumps them because it's for us. It's always usually the mood that we're in. Uh, my top three always change. Right, so right. yeah, um, every year it's usually at the moment. What do you think your top three uh, all time could be? Okay, so the one of them is um, Wong Kar Wai's uh, In the Mood. Um, another one, would, I mean, just because it's the nostalgia. You know, they're not, when you look back at it, they're not great films, right? But they have such a, a strong impact. And I would say Enter the Dragon. Um, mm. And then, um, wow, what's the third one? Um, these are tough ones. It's a tough one. It's legally blocked. <laughs> <laughs> like it's always like two obscure ones, and then one like everybody, like everybody seen like a million times. Yeah. I would have to say one film that left a strong impact on me recently is Minari. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and yeah. So I have to ask you a question about Minari because we were we really loved the film and it was beautifully acted, like ridiculously acted, but. Is there a job where you have to look at chickens all day long? Like, like know if they're male or female and then toss them? In? I mean, is that a real thing? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't really know, but according to them, you have to, it's like sexting or something. You have to see the sex or something, if, it was, if it's going to hatch or not. Sexting. Right. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> you got to see if, if the, what the sex, you can tell what, what the egg is, if it's going to hatch or not. That's what they're doing or something, right? Uh, but wait. I, th- I thought he said no, something about no, no, it they were checking, different. No, no, the they, were, are... they were checking. They were checking like female, male, uh, and they th- they discard the males uh, yeah, because yeah, they yeah. said the male nuggets taste Chicken different. Strain, like right. I don't, I don't remember what it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm yeah. not sure. Well, they but, can't. They okay. have to be able to breed them, right? The males, but they're, they're right, separated. That, right, right. That that makes sense. Yeah. They separate. It's like when uh when you go crabbing, you you can eat them. You can take the males, but you never you throw the females back in. Yeah. Um. All right. So. 
So again, Perry, thank you. Uh, so remember I asked you about your favorite, uh, nerd thing and you had sent, you, you replied to it and I told you it would make sense at the end. So what we also do after the big finish is we also kind of give a gift. And if, I don't know if you've noticed, but our logo has stick figures. Um, and that's mainly because neither of us can draw. <laughs> so that's our, that's our, that's our stick. So every guest, uh, on our show, also, uh, gets a stick figure of their own. So, uh, I'm going to send this to you later on, um, because we're going to need a selfie. Oh, but, wow. Um, this is, uh, that your stick is figure. Awesome. So describe to our listeners what you're, what yeah, we're going to, we're going to drop the video for, but, yeah, yeah. you know, but there's also a podcast that, uh, this is, uh, you're going to need. It's a beautifully rendered, um, you know, I guess uh, anime, or I don't want to say cartoon, but uh, representation. It's, a, it's, it's 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 like stick figure plus. Stick figure plus of Father June <laughs> holding a shakuhachi with my guitar on the back, which is the Fender Telecaster Thin Line, very special yep. guitar, uh, and it's, it looks like me. <laughs> it's great, awesome. <laughs> I mean, uh, what a gift! Thank you. Um, yeah, I. Like I said, I, 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 we, we have to internet stalk people. And I, I saw on your Instagram that you love this, that you traded this guitar for this mm-hmm. guitar. And I was like, oh shit, I got to put that in there somehow. Yeah. You didn't draw so. that. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. That. These are getting more intricate as we go along. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you, he... I, I actually had to look up cause I'm terrible at drawing feet. <laughs> like, so like I had to actually look up like what people wore. In 1890s, because oh, that's Father June's uh, outfit, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's these shoes at the bottom that I couldn't believe that you guys wore, and I only know that you guys wore that because there was a scene where Assam and uh, Young June are talking, and I see Assam's shoes, <laughs> and I'm like, "Holy shit, they actually wore these!" That's awesome. So I actually had to, I actually had to get that. I, yeah, I don't know, but they're like mid, almost high tops, and they're. They're buttoned. There's no laces on them. Yeah, right, right. Did I like you, that. Did you, I like that. He's so um, Father June's guy. I got my watch there. chain yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. It looks awesome. Yeah, I got, yeah. I got a lot of detail. <laughs> uh, Perry, thank you so much for spending thank the time you with so us. So much, um, so much love, and so I, I good luck in things that I can't mention that you're in. <laughs> like, <laughs> just know Keep that going. we, you have <laughs> two guys. Two fans that absolutely love this ground. It really, truly is a groundbreaking show for me. Thank you. It really is. I, and it, it's not just Asian people that like it. Anybody who has ever seen the show, I have never heard one bad thing about it. The only bad thing was is that it was over. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> What's the next? Because exactly. we actually we actually reviewed the show and got our fans, our, our followers and fans to watch the show. And got more That's fans. Awesome. So then we put out, if you go back to our, our, our Facebook page, I actually left up on our banner about saving Warrior forever because I couldn't, I couldn't not try. Wow. I signed every petition possible right. and m- our fans were so disappointed to learn that there was no season three when we reviewed the show. And yeah, they got all mad. They're like, where's yeah. the rest of it? <laughs> and then when Shannon broke that video, I, I texted BJ about it. I was yeah, like, "Yeah, we lost Dude! it. Dude, we lost it. 
Yeah, it was awesome. I know I had nothing to so, do with it, but I was like, we did it! It's coming back! <laughs> we did we it! Did. I mean, no, you did have something to do with it. It's a collective <clears throat> effort, right? It, it went into the collective consciousness of, of everybody who put that energy out there, like Paolo Coelho said, right? Paolo Coelho. Uh, you know, just put it out there and the universe will answer. You know, and that's what you guys yeah, did. And God. that's what we all did. So happy. It's, it's a special show that we all love. It was such a great video. T- it was such a great re- uh, review video, too. Oh, it was great. That was really good. <laughs> I just saw it drop, and I'm like, huh, what's this huh, about? Because I, I follow Shannon on, on social media. I'm like, what's this about? And then it goes on, and it just says we're back. I'm like, wait a minute. Those guys are from Warrior. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was, it was really good. <laughs> it was so great. It was so great. I'm like, so happy. Did Bruce happy. Lee write something else? <laughs> 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 I, I'm so happy. Like I, I again, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, and you're and absolutely I'm amazing. So happy, and I cannot wait for the future of this show. Like I, I just can't wait. And I, I know you guys are going to get new fans when season three comes out too. There's going to be other people that haven't watched the first season because because the show is can't was canceled. But once you guys drop season three, right? And um, it's HBO. You guys are going to get. Yeah, and you guys are yeah, gonna get HBO so Max many more fans. Big. You guys are gonna get so many more fans. They'll probably have an advertising budget, which you know, like we didn't for which yeah, help. which we did not yeah. for Cinemax. So, yeah, I mean, once it went on HBO, I started getting recognized on the streets, which was like, oh wow, you know, immediately the audience yeah. just blew up. You know that that was one of the things I was disappointed for when I heard that the show got greenlit that it was going to go on Cinemax, mm-hmm. and and that, that it wasn't like the big mm-hmm. you know I know HBO owns Cinemax but if I knew if it was an HBO it would it would have stood a chance right and so when right. I heard it got canceled I was like that's because you put it on Cinemax and then I got even more mad when I actually watched the show because <laughs> I was like how could you cancel this well they did I mean I remember watching Banshee and how much I loved that show and that had a beginning middle and an end oh wait you guys were on Showtime not Cinemax no 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 they were, no, Cinemax. We were Cinemax they were Cinemax okay okay, but, okay okay but see Banshee got a beginning middle and an end like it it had a finality mm-hmm. to it um and it's such an awesome ride uh so when I heard they were doing Warrior I was like oh that's perfect because that's I just I like that genre um and I and I don't think HBO Max was doing anything like that so once the show got canceled they kind of moved over to HBO where HBO is kind of more popular it it just it blew up everyone kept telling you've watched this warrior show I'm like yeah I've been telling you to watch it forever you know like it's fucking awesome you know and uh and then the disappointment of like oh there's no more yeah you know I guess I'll and, just watch the first two seasons again yeah and so I texted, you know, everybody I knew. I'm like, it's coming back, it's coming back, you know. And so everyone's like, super well, excited. you know, yeah, our fans are super. You excited. might have missed missed that sort of uh, um, news, but Warrior did have season three planned, and we were going to shoot it, but um, right, the but pandemic, it was sold. Right? No, HBO was sold. Oh. to uh, uh, Warner Media. Oh, you know, Warner oh, Media. Was right. It? That's right. That's right. And then AT and T, which AT and T owned, I think. So because of this merger. They had to let go of Cinemax. Uh, any, any new, right, the, right, there was right. a lot of right. All right. the news, all the new things that were exactly, in the pipe for exactly. for Cinemax were canceled. Yeah. So, so it was yeah. devastating to the cast and the crew and everybody because it was like now we're not coming back, but we we did have a season three greenlit that we were planning to come back. So I mean, but you know, but the fans really asked for it and said, "Let's make, let's do this. You guys need to bring it back." You know. I'm telling you right now, when season three drops, you're going to get so many more DMs. (laughs) You're going to get so many more DMs because literally everybody in the show 
is amazing. Everybody, I mean, I hate everybody. That mayor. that mayor was such oh, an asshole, was. but he's so good too. But he that, but, yeah, 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 but yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I mean. Like that's how you know you're good when you hate somebody when you have such an emotional attachment, whether it's good or yeah. bad. That's how you know somebody's doing a really mm-hmm. good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, and your character is just man. I just I. I I love you guys. You guys are hey. so great. I love the show. Thank you so much. Perry, thank you. Thank you so much, Perry. Thanks, PJ. Thanks, Vic. All right. You take care. You guys are great. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. All right. Talk again some other time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> take we're, care. We're, let's just sign off really quickly. Um, All right. Well, that was episode 368 of Chew on This, a Nerds United podcast. I'm BJ. Vic. And Father June, also known as Perry Young. <laughs> <laughs> Signing up. <laughs> Until next time, folks, chew on that. Later. <laughs>